And we're back. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, please go back and listen to The Toughest Job in the World, Part 1. Give you a little more context for Part 2. The last time we saw Devil was near the beginning of the Bible. He had unleashed a flurry of hooks and jabs on Job, yet Job still stood tall with his faith intact. And we haven't seen the devil for a while. Until now. There's a man walking around the shores of Galilee the devil met before, but not on this earth. He looks familiar, he sounds familiar, and it dawns on the devil this man is not just a man. Jesus is the Almighty God in flesh. The God who created the world came to the world. This was the devil's chance to take Jesus out on the devil's home court. He had free reign in the Roman world, but Jesus came around healing the sick and forgiving sinners. That one stung. Casting out devils, that one really stung. Even raising the dead, how is he doing this? Jesus set free some of the devil thought he had locked up. So the devil went back to the war room and devised a plan so evil it almost made him blush. He was going to kill Jesus, and that would be the end of him and those who worship him. He stirred up the religious against Jesus. It's ironic the religious wanted Jesus crucified, and the sinners wanted him freed. Can I say this? It's not enough to be religious. We need a relationship with Jesus. The last week of Jesus' life, the devil incited the religious to incite a mob against him. In the war room, they smiled at this subversive attack, using the religious to attack Jesus. Genius! Then, the devil entered into Judas Iscariot, a disciple in Jesus' hand-picked dream team of a dozen disciples, and that one would betray him. The devils applauded the devil, using one of his own guys to betray him, and with a kiss, oh, that's low even for you. And the devil just nodded. The devil had studied, he'd read, he'd thought, and he'd learned a few things since he had lost his bout with Job. And he was about to put all that research and study into his next move. Hey, good day to you, Simplify listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry, and you're listening to The Toughest Job in the World, Part 2 on Simplify. The religious paraded Jesus to Pilate, but Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. He was about to release Jesus, and the devil got nervous. Oh, no, 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 no. He, he had worked so hard, gotten so close. He could not give up now. Pilate pawned Jesus off on Herod, but Herod couldn't get anything out of him, so he returned him to Pilate. Pilate handsomely paid to convict and condemn criminals, but he couldn't find anything in Jesus' record that would warrant the death warrant. Pilate searched for an out, and he found one. Their custom allowed him to pardon one prisoner every year. Pilate searched his mind for the most heinous, cruel criminal he could think of. Barabbas. Barabbas. It's perfect. Barabbas was everything Jesus wasn't. Surely when given the choice between a murderer and a man some call Messiah, they would choose to free the Messiah. But they chose to free the murderer. Pilate was stunned. The devil was ecstatic. The mob was restless. They were crying for crucifixion, but Pilate couldn't bring himself to crucify Jesus. If they wanted blood, he would give them blood. He ordered Jesus to be scourged. A Roman soldier walked out of the wings of the cat of nine tails. A devilishly devised whip with lead and bronze and bone on the ends of leather straps to cut into and tear away the flesh. To leave stripes all over the victim's body. The devil had gotten much better at his job since Job, but Jesus knew. There was a 700-year-old prophecy from Isaiah that he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. 
The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. The soldier thought every stripe he laid on Jesus' back was just securing another Messiah wannabe from overthrowing the Romans, but really every stripe on Jesus' body secured healing for ours. So when the doctor says there's no hope, we still have hope because we still have a healer. The diseases that attack us don't have to take us out. Our Jesus is our healer. Jesus secured healing for our bodies by the stripes he took on his. Once they yanked Jesus' bloodied body back up, Pilate cleared his throat and said with as much force as he could muster, Now I will release him. And the mob went mad. The religious went mad. The devil was mad. So the mob played the peer pressure card. The crowd cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Suddenly, guilt and innocence didn't matter. Justice who cares about justice? The peer pressure was so strong, it caused Pilate to buckle and condemn a clearly innocent man to be crucified. As they led Jesus away, the devil wiped a bead of sweat from his brimstone brow, and he watched closely to make sure they put an end to Jesus once and for all. This would be the end of him. The Romans laid him down on a cross made from wood he made. They drove nails into his hands and feet to keep him there, but nails didn't hold him. They hoisted the cross into the air until it fell soundly in the hole they dug for it. It was the Romans' way of showing the world who's really in charge. Interestingly enough, it was also God's way. God in flesh hung on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth for six hours while people from far and near came to see him. Some mocked, some worshipped. But nobody could do nothing or think nothing or feel nothing about him. The two thieves who were crucified with him both started out making fun of him, but one of them listened more than he talked, and he heard Jesus pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And for the first time in a long time, he felt mercy. He changed his mind about Jesus and defended him when the other thief piped up. Then he prayed a prayer that took an ocean full of faith. From a faithless man to a faithful God, he prayed, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> You're kidding, right? You're asking to be forgiven after all the people you've robbed and killed? You deserve hell and you're asking for heaven. Ha, <laughs> what nerve. Jesus would say, what faith. He figured if Jesus could forgive the ones who crucified him, maybe he would forgive one crucified with him. So he asked Jesus for one thing he desperately needed but did not deserve. He asked for mercy. And Jesus responded, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Even on the cross, Jesus was setting people free the devil thought he had locked up. Jesus cried out, It is finished, and his heart beat its last beat. When the centurion supervisor saw how Jesus died, he had his own come to Jesus meeting at the foot of the cross. He bowed his head and said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Another hard heart changed by God's grace. The devil lost a couple battles on Calvary, but he won the war. Jesus was dead. But the devil was not ready for what happened next. He thought Jesus' death was the answer, and it was, just not for him. <laughs> it is for us. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple was ripped in two from top to bottom. The veil was a 60 feet high, 30 feet long, 4 inches thick curtain. A team of horses couldn't rip it apart. It stood in the temple to barricade us from God for centuries as a constant reminder that God is holy and we are not, and we cannot get to him. But when Jesus tore it in two, it was a testimony that he came to us, and now we can come to him. On that dark day on a mountain in Jerusalem, with all of hell's forces focused on Jesus, 
Jesus' blood paid the penalty for our sins and opened the way for us to come into his presence and his presence to come into us. So whether you were raised in church or this is the first time you've heard the good news that God came to exchange his life for your soul, God came and he has come to make himself available to us. But that's not how the story ends. If Jesus hadn't risen from the grave, the scoreboard would still read hell one, heaven zero, and the devil would have crushed Jesus at the cross. But on Sunday morning when we come to the tomb, we will come face to angelic face with an angel who announces he is not here for he has risen as he said. Jesus did not stay in the grave. He rose from the grave. And when he rose, he rose with all authority and power. And he took back the keys that sin had stolen so long ago in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus fulfilled the prophecy made only three chapters into our Bible that one day the devil would bruise his heel. But on that day, he would crush the devil's head. I really believe the devil has the toughest job in the world. He got Job right where he wanted him, hit him with everything he had, and Job worshipped anyways. He got Jesus right where he wanted him, on a cross, for everybody to see him crucified, then in a tomb for everybody to see him buried. But on that Sunday morning, Jesus rose, so everyone who saw him crucified and saw him buried could know, would know, he's not in the tomb anymore. He's got the toughest job in the world, the devil does. Gets us right where he wants us, hits us with everything he has, and we worship God anyway. He attacks our family, our health, our mind, our faith, and we worship God anyway. Even if he's had you discouraged, sinful, abusive, hateful, addicted, vengeful, resentful, destructive, depressed, suicidal, you don't have to be anymore. Job's life testifies. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection testifies. And there are countless other stories of people who have clung to faith when their faith was being attacked that we can still cling to faith because we serve a faithful God. Everything changes because of an old rugged cross and an empty tomb. I'd like to pray one more time for those whose faith has been under attack maybe this week or the last week and you're wondering if you can hold on any longer. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem that testifies you can still hold on. God is still in control. And if you will be faithful to him, he will absolutely be faithful to you. Jesus, thank you today. I pray right now, strengthen those whose faith is being tested and tried. I pray, Lord, you would help us to serve you no matter what, to live for you, to walk with you, to love you. You have been so good to us. I pray your hand will be upon us. Pray you would keep us safe, keep our faith safe, and use us for your glory, Jesus, to reach out to others and share our testimony with other people so they can know what you have done for us, you can do for them. I praise you and I give you great thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. God is so good to us even when life is not. Hey, I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Most of all, I hope it's ministered to you to help you cling to your faith even when your faith is under attack. If you'd like to pick up a copy of the Devotional Simplified, which is what launched this podcast in the first place. It's a weekly devotional book I wrote about three years ago, and you can pick it up for $13 at PentecostalPublishing.com or on Amazon, you can get it for Kindle. My next book is coming out. It's called 10 Words, A Practical Look at the Ten Commandments. It should be available on Pentecostal Publishing pretty soon, and hopefully it will be available also as an audio book coming up pretty soon. So I'm very excited about all of that. Next week, I want to share with you a devotion called There is a Place. 
It's what God laid on my heart for our local church here in Mount Vernon, Ohio, as we began this 2021, and I want to share it with all of you. There is a place. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.